Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 235 for Monday, March 6th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, hello, and if you would like to join us on this adventure and others, you can check out patreon.com slash the spawn chunks where you will get access to the render distance, the extended conversation that we have before and after every episode of the spawn chunks. And we just were talking about Dungeons and Dragons, player handbooks, getting started, a uh, different medium where people will watch things like uh, other people playing D&D and where to kind of get your head around that kind of stuff. If you are interested in that, then you can go over to patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and join. It helps us produce the show it's the first episode of the month so a huge thank you and shout out to all of our patrons that help support johnny and i it, it allows us to take the time to produce this show uh it, it allows us to put the time in to help it become a quality show which i, I think we have done and uh, we can't thank you all enough patrons also get access to the monthly minecraft hangout as well as the quarterly spawn chunks hangout the monthly minecraft hangout is where we talk with our patrons about what they've been building in minecraft in a live chat and that is then posted to the patreon page uh, and and you can access uh, the notes from that later on as well and then the quarterly spawn chunks hangout is where we talk about the podcast you know like how the podcast is doing and what our plans are for the future and that happens four times a year and that's also live in the discord and accessed only by patrons as a bit of a stepping stone from our render distance discussion into this one i feel like anybody who is interested in learning more about world building like if you really enjoyed the episode that joel and fwip recorded recently about telling the story of a minecraft world dungeons and dragons is not a bad place to start with that because it'll give you it like the source books give you a lot of information about how to start building a world where to tell the story and some considerations for what to populate your world with in terms of detail so if you want to get kickstarted on a on a story then there is you can you can do worse than the uh, the dungeon masters guide uh, from dungeons and dragons but i think at this point joel west hill is maybe getting to the point where you could design a campaign around that if you wanted to like i'm not sure if you have the time to to worry about that but it's such a fleshed out project now and you've got lots of little shops and and like you can populate those with imaginary npcs i expect uh, west hill is feeling more and more like a place that you could do that it's starting to feel more well-rounded uh, i know i've mentioned a number of times in the last few weeks about how fun it is to check stuff off quickly as we're going through a list you know rather than taking weeks to build a mansion i'm i'm doing like one or two things a stream you know every once in a while a stream goes into two parts now but most of the time i'm just like checking stuff off you know this street decorated this house filled in like you know it is now a guard house or whatever that happens to be and um i don't have any lore people ask all the time on stream like what's the lore behind west Hills? i don't have a lore i have a history in terms of age in terms of like what what was the first part of the town that was built when was the second part you know like everything is kind of built around the keep which makes sense uh and then there's the the fishing village outside which is doesn't necessarily have a a history it's more about a it's just like it has a certain class like the fishing villages of, of a lower class the working class the west side of town has got it's more fancy it's more the buildings have space just because they have space not because it's functional you know a uh, lot more a lot of uh, gardens on the street like it's more decorative whereas everything on the east side is all market function you know like it's a bakery looks like a bakery there's no frills you know um same thing with the blacksmith like it, it's not a fancy place it's a place where things get done but there's still spots for people to live that kind of thing so it's been a nice i guess 
experience to try and balance all of that. And I don't have any characters or story, but I certainly have an idea of like goods coming into the town, using the river to bring in, you know, supplies. And every now and again, I'll, I'll squeak in like a secret passage from a house down to the river to like maybe smuggle something in like that, that kind of stuff. But I don't have any lore as of yet. Uh, but I, th I feel like it could be a good location for, for some sort of D and D campaign. I mean, and I'll take that as a compliment. I appreciate that. That's, that's a nice thing to say about a, a, a place that was a sunflower plains, not two and a half years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it's, uh, it's expanded, uh, quite a bit actually. And, uh, this past week, most of the work has been outside and, you know, probably just as well as anybody else, how long it takes to do landscaping in Minecraft. And oh yeah, <laughs> this is one of those weeks where like, I really feel like I put in a lot of work and I don't have a lot to show for it. <laughs> uh, it's because of like the verticality of going up and down or the back and forth, all the walking back and forth and the looking that you have to do when you're, when you're doing like custom bushes, custom trees, custom paths on either side of a road. So we focused on uh, the West Gate. So last week I talked about the custom gate, the, the, the actual swinging door itself. But this week I was, I was all outside. So I was outside adding the lanterns that light the, the path and trying to make it not look too lit up. Um, and, and while at the same time trying to keep it roughly spawn proof, it's not perfect, but it's, it's pretty close. And you know, so I've got like a custom shrub and custom hedges on one side. I've got a path that leads down to the river. And some of this was planned. And some of this, I have to say, for anybody that, that's taking on these big projects, if you can just keep your head on a swivel. And if you think, huh, there's a kind of a large gap here. I could either build something to fill it. Or I could say, well, maybe this gap exists because people keep on walking back and forth to the river. Easy access, right? Because it's right by the road. But when I got down there, I realized quickly that when you're standing in the right spot down by the river, you have this beautiful vista. You're like, you're looking at the loading dock on the river. And then right behind it, the keep is towering above, you know, it's a beautiful kind of framed shot. I thought, man, if I can just twist this path to make the player be oriented towards the view that I want them to see when they get to the bottom of it, this could be a really cool moment. And so I started applying that to other things. It's the same thing on the other side of the path, the east, uh, the west side, where there's just a little stone path that just kind of says like, oh, you could walk up there if you want. And the end result is just like the West River Gate. It's, it's a steel or an iron portcullis that blocks off access, but the water can still flow through. Think like the, uh, the small culvert at the bottom of Helm's Deep in yeah, Lord of the yeah, Rings. Yeah, yeah, That sort of idea. It's a bit bigger, but same idea. And like adding that in took forever. It's like two streams worth of content to do like a custom cliff. And cause of course Minecraft, all the landscape around it looks like garbage, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So once you've customized a little bit, you're like, God, I, now I kind of have to customize this river at least until it goes around the bend beyond the player's view from this cliff face, you know, where you're standing to look down. And I spent all this time designing the cliff and you can't see the cliff, but from one spot on the wall, <laughs> Mm -hmm. So, so you're you like, know, I'm going to make this a feature spot that everyone will want to go to just so they can admire the so. cliff, right? Yeah. I hope so. With the amount of work that I put into it, uh, it's one of those things where I really had to police myself because as a perfectionist, as someone that likes doing everything in the round in Minecraft, uh, I, I put backs on my builds. I, 
I really was getting carried away with like designing this cliff and like how it like flows into the water and like doing all this detail. And then when I got up and looked at like the only two places where you're probably going to be looking at this and you couldn't see much of what I was doing. So I quickly said, okay, I, I can't spend very much time on this. I'm just going to quickly throw it in and spend the time on like the bushes that overhang the edge. You can see those very clearly. I want to make sure that the texture in the path and that the bottom of the river near the gate looks good. After you get away from the gate, it's just me spamming Bomi on the bottom of the river. Like I'm really not paying much attention to where the plants are and stuff like that. But all the custom things are like within 50 blocks of the player. And then after that, it just kind of trails off. And it's actually a decent lesson. It's it's similar to when you're doing a painting. Like you want the focus uh, of the painting to be the most detailed, the most, um, I guess, high contrast, you know, the, the, the best lit subject matter in the painting. And then a tree in the background can really just be a couple of strokes because people are not looking at that. They're looking at the yeah. focus, right? Mm -hmm. And you use composition, lighting, and contrast to focus your eye. And I try to do that in Minecraft, although it's difficult because Minecraft doesn't always give you those tools because, I mean, everything is in the same focus in Minecraft, right? There's no depth of field unless you're playing with shaders. Um, but I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing the the landscaping. It, it does take a long time, but it's very satisfying when you're finished and you're like, okay, this really feels like a cultivated world. Like, yes, it's Minecraft, but it feels like something has been crafted and everything has a purpose. And it makes sense that that bush is there compared to, um, oddly, when you walk through Minecraft forests, there's no bushes. It's just grass. The mm -hmm. odd fern, but there's no real bushes unless you're in a jungle. Then you've got like that thick ground foliage, right? And so adding in these custom bushes and things I thought really added a nice touch. Uh, and then I, I broke up a lot of that. So I didn't do that straight. Like after about an hour or so in the river, I tend to want to break. And so there's a couple of houses nearby that needed insides. And so I was using the armor stand, uh, armor statue data pack and some mini blocks and stuff. And I was making the guard house and I did the inside of a house and just leaning into these little opportunities. Like I said, like with the vistas that I was seeing and framing, I also see these little opportunities in these houses that I designed a year and a half ago. And I'm just like, well, wait a minute. This, the kitchen here could have a chimney that pokes out the roof. And if I have it in the right spot, then I could have a second stove on the second floor that then uses the same chimney. So you could have like a cooking stove in the basement and a heating stove in the bedroom. And they both have access to the same chimney as if it was planned from the very start. And I just, mm -hmm. I thought that is too good of an opportunity to pass up. It informs how I lay out the upper levels, what kind of decorations you can put in. Like, obviously you want to put some firewood, you know, next to the stove, like that kind of stuff. So I had a lot of fun with those. I'm really happy with the detail in the guard house. I feel like I use the armor st statue data pack to hang a couple of swords on a uh, trip. No, yeah, tripwire hooks, so they look like they're hanging on the wall. Yeah, sure. But sure. but the symbol above the door is all vanilla. It's it's a, a a sword in a item frame with two oak signs on either side of it, and it looks kind of like a crest, kind of mm -hmm. like a plaque that you hang on something. And it's all vanilla. There's nothing fancy about it. So I was really happy with all of that. And the rest of the time, I was just doing lighting and and stuff like that, which is not super exciting. It just it's walking around the town and trying to figure out where you're going to put lanterns and what looks good and what looks overlit and stuff like that. But overall, it's starting to come together. And I've still got a few really large things on the to-do list, like changing the keep design, the towers, and making that look a little bit more like a 
pinnacle structure. And the other thing that's a big thing on the list is all the outside countryside stuff. Like I've got walls and roads that are half finished and bridges that need to be finished and stuff like that. So there will be a little bit that has to get done um, outside the town. But right now I'm trying to focus on everything within the walls. Yeah. Well, um, repeat everything Joel just said, but for me, when it comes to the cliff side of things, because when <laughs> oh. I tell you what I've been up to, um, I've been building a cliff, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> it's it's got to be a lot of uh, screenshots of cliffs in this week's show notes, I can That's tell funny. already. Great um, minds, my friend. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's cliff season in Minecraft. This is what we do during winter. It's like hibernation for us. We just gotta start <laughs> landscaping. But um, no, I've, I've been using basically all of the stone that I carved out of the basement layer to my catacombs uh, that I built the copper aging facility in. I had a ton of silk-touched natural stone from that that I'm now building up into a cliff surrounding the mountain range there's not really a mountain range as such. It's not like the largest mountains in the world, but because all of the savanna terrain that I'm building in is quite high, there is this ridge around the outside of it that's got a mountain biome with one of those calcite veins in it and everything. And I decided I want to build a castle, again, going back to my reference from Elden Ring and modeling this sort of loosely on Stormvale Castle, I want to build that on top of this plateau and have a cliff supporting it so that the castle is in a defensible position. It feels like you can only approach it from a couple of directions. And going back to your conversation with Whip about playing with sight lines and stuff like that, mm, really making mm -hmm. sure that players approach it from a specific direction if they're traveling on foot, which the entire server is not at this point, but at least anybody who wants to land on the path can observe what I'm doing. And hopefully when I pull it off, it's going to look quite good. But it involves landscaping a lot of the terrain first because that hill is the standard Minecraft rolling hill. Everything only kind of rises and falls by a block or two at a time. Even in the mountainous section of it, it's a fairly gradual slope. And I've been using that to kind of get back and forth and grab resources from there and that kind of thing. But now I'm at the point where I want to use it for something aesthetic. And so I've effectively built like a perimeter wall around the area that's going to be the boundary of the ancient capital itself, the town part at least. And that's going to be a natural cliff wall once I'm done terraforming it. Even though it looks like it could be the wall of a castle right now. It's only one block thick. And I could just double up on that if I wanted that to be a castle wall. But it's a more organic structure uh, for the moment. And I'm trying to detail as I go a little bit. I'm trying to add in mossy stuff growing around the base of the wall. Which is difficult mm -hmm. because building in a savanna biome, I intended to go ahead with that paler yellow kind of grass color because it it invoked Limgrave, the starting area from Elden Ring, when I was looking for places to build this season. And I thought, yeah, like I, I can work with that grass color, it'll be fine. But then I start incorporating moss and mossy cobblestone in there and the green is very different. It's yeah. a much more saturated kind of like primary feeling green compared to the savanna stuff. But I can I can make excuses, you know, I can say that this cliff maybe catches whatever, you know, moisture and stuff forms in this area and it all runs down the cliff and maybe the soil at the base of this wall gets a bit more water, so that means it's going to sprout a little bit greener there where the rest of the biome starts to dry out. And so I can I can sort of work it in a little bit there and justify it to my to my detail obsessed brain uh whilst I, I start building. And I'm trying to do what you were saying earlier, working with 
uh, you know, foreground and background detail by populating the foreground with more interesting stuff so that I don't have to worry too much about the fact that the cliff wall is really just a large ribbon of stone. And I'm taking my cues from the composition in Elden Ring when you're traveling along a road, and I'll include a, uh, a, a screenshot from the uh, in the live chat from uh, a highway in Limgrave where you're walking towards the castle and there are lots of boulders and stuff by the side of the road. There are lots of rock formations that have either sprouted there naturally or have been moved there and some of them have fallen down and the highway is all kind of broken up and there are still you know, NPCs and enemies walking around on it. But there are a couple of dry stone walls just kind of marking the path as you go and a lot of it has overgrown and become sort of more wild and so I'm, I'm working with that as my benchmark trying to reproduce that in minecraft even though the atmosphere of minecraft is something i can control a lot less than the more stylized approach they've taken to it in a game like elden ring and so far it's going really well i've done the back half of the cliff that borders on a greener set of biomes there's a sort of regular minecraft forest back there and a, a plains biome but then the one that borders on the area where I'm building in, the savannah, is a lot less complete right now. So that's really my task this week. It's my distraction from playing Minecraft Bingo. Um, <laughs> it, it feels weird that Minecraft Bingo has become the main activity and that Empires has become the distraction. But uh, I've been playing a fair bit of Minecraft Bingo this week. I managed to get my best time down to 43 minutes and 12 seconds in the 119 version of Bingo with new terrain, new objectives, new items popping up on the uh, the Bingo card. Uh, me and Bruno Danuai did a uh, stream on Friday where we were in the same world doing this on a multiplayer server, and that's where I got my personal best time, uh, which Bruno then beat yesterday when he streamed some solo runs and is now beating me by about a minute and 40 seconds. So the rivalry continues, um, but it's it's fun to go back and forth between a long and fairly, you know, tedious uh, for want of a better term, landscaping project on Empires and the fast-paced, fun, you know, do a run in 40 minutes kind of gameplay that you get from Minecraft Bingo. I really like the what you've done in, in Minecraft with that cliff, especially now that I've seen the inspirational image from Elden Ring. Like, it's it's, it's very accurate to the sheer cliff face. Like, it's almost mm -hmm. vertical. Yeah. Uh, and and works really well. And I know that you're it's still a work in progress, but something that I find that I, I like to do when dealing with a lot of stone to try and you know vary it up. Um, you, I don't know if you find the same, but I find that andesite looks either wet or it could also look kind of shiny. And it looks like there's kind of like a, a shiny worn top to the cliff in the Elden Ring screenshot that you shared. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder if andesite along the top of your cliff when you get to that point would would make it look like it has like a a worn down by the wind and the rain top, you know, yeah. uh, to yeah, kind yeah. of allude to the boulders and stuff. I had the same problem with that you're having with the, um, uh, the biome that you're in the Savannah. Uh, most of my town is in uh, a sunflower plains, but on the West side and out the West gate, it transfers into a taiga, which is all mint green. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you go to use some of the cool blocks that you want to use. And you're like, I can't use moss. I can't use moss carpet because it really doesn't match. It looks terrible. And I didn't realize that river biomes were also kind of minty. They're not as green as you think they are. And so I was putting down azalea bushes and because uh, I wanted to use them. I like them. They're like a, they're a fun green, but they're one of those bushes that doesn't change color from the biome. And I had to go back to using jungle and oak leaves 
in my custom bushes uh, along with the new mangrove leaves because they mangrove does change uh, mm -hmm. and so do the older bushes the older leaf blocks and so low shrubbery in the, in the river was was jungle and and oak and then along the road i used a lot of mangrove trees which we've commented before that it has like a nice hanging look like it really kind of has a vertical texture to it yeah yeah and so i'm wondering like with yours like in addition to like having boulders at the bottom and all that kind of stuff if you could use i don't know some some different foliage or different leaves older blocks that would change to be more um savanna biome colors you know so that you didn't have to deal with the the mossy green like if you could sort of make your own mossy cobble out of like bushes and cobble together maybe i don't know i just i, I know that i started having a, a lot uh more of an easy time by switching to foliage that was changing with the biome rather than trying to figure out how am i going to use these things because i really like moss carpet it's such a great way to like define a path or add some oomph to, to things and when you can't when it doesn't jive with the color it's it's frustrating yeah um, yeah I, I expect i'll put a fair amount of foliage around the bottom of this when right. i'm yeah i know you're and, like, yeah, yeah i know it's yeah, a work in like, progress yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. the kind of thing that will will take a couple of detail passes and I'm still not certain how much of the cliff top part is going to be stone because I expect I'll use a fair amount of stone in the walls of the castle. So right. I think some Good of that way. is going to start like the the andesite layer sounds like a really solid idea. So I, I might give that a try, but then it's going to gradiate from there back into grass and mud and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but so that it can have at least a layer or two of separation between the stone of the cliff face and the walls of the castle so yeah there's there's still a lot of planning to do here and i expect once i've managed to landscape this to my satisfaction i'm going to need to get a world download from the admins and try and you know block out in creative where i want a lot of the structure of the castle to go because mm. planning a lot of that stuff on the fly in survival is probably going to lead to me making too many mistakes and i do want to kind of nail this one so we'll, yeah. we'll see how it goes but i will be able to hopefully update people on this in a couple of weeks time when i've made a, a significant amount more progress nice and you don't have any map stuff on empires right like you've got some no like mini maps and stuff no. yeah you know mini maps okay because that's that's what i used for mine so i didn't have to do it in creative but i had like that top down kind of planning tool in minecraft which was very helpful yeah um, yeah good, I mean, good we, for rivers too <laughs> we've got the free cam mod as part of our pack so we don't have to worry right. too much about the okay. flying up in the air like you can do yeah. that in a much more stationary way which is mm -hmm. helpful and i was doing that mm -hmm. every so often when i was building the cliff just to make sure that i was happy with what the shape of it looked right. like from a distance because yep. that's always one of my frustrations with minecraft in general is making sure that you can step back and see stuff from a distance because up close it's all just going to look like you're placing more and more stone and yep. unless you have a bit more experience you're never going to know what that looks like unless you're stepping away constantly to see how it looks so so free cam and just detaching my field of view from from the character has been kind of useful for that but yeah overall I'm i'm happy with the shape of everything i'm really happy that it winds up the hill and i can do a bit more shaping of things once there is a plateau of sorts there like i can start to introduce a, a couple of rises and falls and maybe some more smaller cliff formations inside of that to create either a winding path upwards or just you juxtapose it against the more structured look of the castle in the background but yeah that's that's all going to take a lot of work so i'm not going to say too much about it now and hopefully we'll have time to get it finished nice I was uh, I was lurking in your stream for a bit there on it was either Friday or Saturday. You were streaming late, whichever day it was. You and Bruno, 
uh, and listening to you to you to talk about your different Minecraft bingo strategies was really interesting. And it made me more interested in trying the pack because of just, I knew it would require like a certain amount of base knowledge and stuff like that. But like, even just when you're going for best times, like figuring out when you're doing your crafting, like you're doing it all at once, you know, as opposed to like running back and crafting the thing and, and getting the check mark, you're like gathering the materials, doing a bunch of crafting all at once and like getting like three or four things ahead at, in one jump rather than, you know, um, doing one thing at a time. And there was different like explore, exploration things. And it was really interesting to hear kind of like the different, the different strategies. And I think it was, I, can't, I think it was Bruno that was saying like his chat was messing with him or something <laughs> like, yeah, you know, on screen chat and like, he'd either miss something or they would say he missed something and he would double back. And it was like, well, that would, that would be frustrating if you're going for a, good, uh, a best time, but it's cool that that has been updated to i think it's 19.3 is the yeah. latest yeah mm -hmm. um because that's one of my drawbacks when i go to see these cool mod packs that people are playing you know skyblock or whatever a lot of the time less so now but early on when i was looking at modded stuff it was always like 116 i was like i know it's modded i know it's a game mode but like i would really i don't want to go back to 116 like i kind of want to stay in current minecraft if i'm going to go modded yeah yeah i think it'd be really interesting to talk to somebody from the modding community at this point about mm, mm -hmm. the change to the smaller releases like having 119 3 and 4 coming in and fixing these like minor but significant problems with minecraft or like you know pr providing sort of new technical stuff behind the scenes and under the hood and how that relates to the rolling development of mods and which versions they decide to stick with and whether it's worth updating to minor versions or if it's worth just holding on until all of that change also is included in 1.20 along with the the major features. So I think we'll we'll have to reach out to the folks we know in the modding community and see if we can get somebody on the show for uh, an, an interview or yeah, at least some input on this uh potentially an email topic as well if you're somebody out there who uh mods minecraft and you feel like writing in to share your experience uh spawn chunk mail at gmail.com and we'll get into chunk mail right after the news uh but first of all we have to talk about minecraft java edition 119.4 pre-release 3 which was released earlier this week changes in pre-release 3 include potions having their colors adjusted to make them more distinguishable from each other there are a couple of technical and experimental changes as well. In technical changes, pressing F3 and S will now dump the contents of dynamic textures like atlases, maps, and so forth to a debug folder in the screenshots folder. Experimental features include the pottery shards, updating the textures of the archer pottery shard based on community feedback. The direction of the arrow and shape of the bow are now more clear. Uh, King B Dogs had a really interesting thread about uh, the, the potion color change and uh what they their philosophy when changing that uh he elaborated a little bit on the color changes saying uh we recognize that this change is not going to improve the readability for all color blindnesses a real solution is to make individual potion textures for each type but for now we're just doing this small fix until we have capacity generally using color to distinguish between types of anything in a game is a bad idea iconography and form is much better from a user experience perspective but it's not a simple change that can be made quickly, so we wanted to at least do something small towards solving this first, which I think is a really good note. Fixed bugs of note in pre-release 3 include Enderman teleporting away instead of taking damages from End Crystals, TNT, and Wither Skull explosions. Enderman couldn't dodge arrows fired from a dispenser. 
players and mobs are no longer affected by knockback on death that's now been fixed as well dolphins with passengers were accelerating to ludicrous speed or being immobilized entirely and thanks to that new ride command dolphin riding is not part of the vanilla game uh, but you can you can uh, enable that using commands and certain potions were still indistinguishable by color which we've covered already uh, Minecraft Preview 119.70.23 was out for Bedrock Edition, and it includes the experimental features of archaeology and the sniffer. So in the archaeology, they've added the brush, decorated pot, the four pottery shards, and suspicious sand. Suspicious sand can now be found in the Desert Temple and Desert Wells. The uh, preview changelog also says these are an early look at archaeology features and they want to spend more time developing them, so let us know where you think we can improve or expand. As far as the sniffer goes, the sniffer and torch flowers are now available as experimental features as well, and these all function the same way as the Java Edition features which we covered previously on the show, so we won't break it down, but if you want to read more about those, the changelog is linked in our show notes. As far as main features and bug fixes, they fixed a bug where an LA holding a lead wasn't able to be leashed until the player was holding a full stack of 64 leads in hand. Sounds from all button types and levers are now controlled by the blocks, slider, and audio settings. They fixed a bug where hoppers wouldn't pull in items after they went from powered to unpowered, so that's probably been a frustration for redstoners. Uh, Ghast's sound volume will now fade the further they are from the player. The swap item animation now plays when switching hotbar items of the same type with the same durability. Villagers will now emit anger particles when hit by a player outside of a village. Horses cannot be pushed over fences covered by carpets anymore, and when breeding horses, baby horses now have a chance of being better than their parents in speed, jump strength, and health, similar to the horse breeding changes we saw coming to Java Edition snapshots as well. In experimental technical updates, block permutation has been significantly refactored, and I will include no more information about that because it looked like a bunch of technical jargon I did not understand, so it seemed like it would be a nightmare to read on the podcast. But once again, if you're in the technical side of the Bedrock community, check out this changelog for more information on that because it's a significant change for the API and a couple of other things besides. Minecraft 1.20, the previously unnamed update, now has a name. The next major update for Minecraft will be called the Trails and Tales update. Previous updates like Caves and Cliffs and Update Aquatic have been named after a theme, and Trails and Tales is no different. The name represents the journey that Minecraft takes you on and the unique stories that each of us bring back. Agnes Larson had a quote in the article about the update, which I thought was poignant. The 1.20 update is all about self-expression, specifically self-expression through representation, storytelling, and world building. And it's the journey, your trails, that ties it all together. The Minecraft worlds belong to the players, and so do the stories, or tales, about those worlds. The name for the tales, sorry, Trails and Tales update was revealed in the first installment of the March 2nd premiere of the Minecraft monthly news show, which is happening on the Minecraft YouTube channel. Players can look for new monthly Minecraft episodes each month for the latest updates delivered by VooBooey. So I think we've highlighted the first problem with the Trails and Tales update, which is that it's difficult to remember which way around to say it. <laughs> but yep. um, yeah, I, I think overall it's it's a, a decent name. I think the um, the name is as good a name as any. I, I find that the, the the second problem I have with it, aside from transposing the two names, is that I keep spelling Tails, T-A-I-L-S, 
uh, instead of T-A-L-E-S, which is what it is. So trails and tails are not quite spelt exactly the same. So that's uh, it's going to take a while to get my head around it, especially after having got into the habit of just calling it 1.20 or the unnamed update for the last little while. But uh, I think it's nice to finally have the name out there. I think if I was to write it down, and I think tails and trails rolls off the tongue better, but I understand why they put the trails first because you have to have the adventure before you have a story to tell. Like, yeah, sorry, it, I, I get why it's in that order. It feels know? like they occur in the right sequence. Yeah, it's a, a there and back again kind of story. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I um I like I like the the name. We can have a quick email actually here from uh, Pine One Needle, who listeners might remember a few episodes ago had written in and. They were really close. Their suggested name was Travels and Tales for the the Minecraft 1.20 update. Uh, They wrote it again to say, I have no idea whether this was inspired by my suggestion on episode 233, but I like to imagine that someone at Mojang may have heard my suggestion and then thought, what if we did that, but we made it rhyme? Uh, Thus, tongue-tying everyone around the world. Uh, (laughs) What do you guys think of the official name to the update? Pine One Needle ate trail mix as he counted the number of people online misspelling tails as (laughs) t-a-i-l-s well you've 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 called that as well congratulations you may be psychic uh yeah count count me among those those people um yeah like i said i I think it's a, a good name i i would love to believe that uh they they've heard pine one needle's suggestion and thought yes we'll roll with that but uh make it a little different i expect in reality they've heard a bunch of different names from the community tried them all out internally and have been working with this name for a little while um but yeah i think it's it's delightful to hear that people have been you know have have had similar ideas and that it seems to align with community expectations because yeah i expect somebody out there will have nailed it quite early and then just decided to sit on that name suggestion um but yeah i think it's i think it's good if anything for me it does feel a little anticlimactic uh it it seems more whimsical than it does um bombastic like you know the the wild update or um i I can't remember what they settled on for 118 for caves and cliffs part two because it was um they they were talking about how 1.7 was the update that changed the world or, or something like that and so th- those all feel like they've got a, a huge significance whereas this one feels a little bit less it, it's it's kind of downplaying a little bit but i think that's probably a good thing after how much people projected onto the wild update um so i think that's uh you're potentially taking things in a more manageable direction than uh than the community expectation took things in the last couple of updates I think Caves and Cliffs was just Caves and Cliffs Part 2. I don't think they had anything else attached to it. Um, I don't remember much about the descriptions. I mean, what was happening was, was I think, description enough, as far as I recall. Yeah. Uh, I, I like Tales and Trails. I did it again. Tail, trails and Tales. I, I, I like it as a, as a name. I think it it pushes a little bit more on the more recent edition of archaeology. Um, like, I don't really necessarily get sniffer or or new wood vibes from it you know like i feel like it it's a little bit more as you mentioned broad like it's it's less it's less specific in terms of the like uh the update aquatic right like yeah yeah you 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 kind of understand oh 
water does what update. it says on the tin. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> right. And I, and I think in caves and cliffs, same idea. Uh, and I, and I feel like, as you said, this is a little bit more broad, but I also feel like it's a, it's a lighter update than we've received. I mean, certainly caves and cliffs was huge, but like even going back to like the nether update or the update aquatic, like, I feel like those were, um, much bar- larger tasks and much larger changes to the world than, uh, trails and tales and so while i like it um I, and i will i have beaten this drum before on the podcast but i i really think they should just drop the word update from the titles like i mean we all know what it is it's not minecraft trails and tales the end you know <laughs> yes it's, it's an update it's an the game has been updating for years and i kind of feel like it's a little bit redundant but um but i mean they they still have you know i think the only thing that i'm not entirely sure like they talk about the self-expression and I guess that's the armor trim stuff, but like, I don't necessarily feel like the entire update or the name really says self-expression to me. It's I I get more of a, they're focusing on exploration. And I think it's a good update focus to have immediately after you do caves and cliffs part one and two and the deep dark, right? So now we've changed everything about the overworld uh in a huge way and now we're giving you more reasons to go walk around and explore it and i think i mean it makes sense i, I think it's um it's good in that way yeah all, all of the key art for it does just say minecraft trails and tales like it doesn't say the trails and tales update i think it's it's obviously kind of difficult to separate the notion that it's an update from the context in which they're talking about it and i think they, they tried this a little while ago when they were trying to focus on the name of an update rather than the version number to try and get people to stop thinking of things as 1.12 1.13 that mm-hmm. kind of thing especially whilst the two version numbers were so disparate on bedrock and java and now that's been solved i think maybe even to resolve the fact that players didn't know which update they were talking about with bedrock and java being communicated about in in different contexts but yeah i, I think it, it's it's good i think it's it's summing up as a group what these features provide to the broader player base and it's just about whether or not you would interact with those features and the kind of the, the kind of thing that you're interested in doing in minecraft in general like you're already you know building trails and you know writing tales in in a small sense in terms of the the builds that you're working on whereas the update is encouraging players it feels like in the theme to express themselves and explore the world and uh, our main discussion this week is actually going to be about exploration and its value within Minecraft. So it's kind of a good time to be talking about this kind of thing in general. Yeah, I see what you mean about the logo now. I, th- I think that it's just the inconsistency for me that maybe tripped me up in that in the article, they call it the Tales and Trails update and they often capitalize update and bold yeah. it. Yeah. And so it feels like that's the title, but then you're right in the course in the art, it just says Minecraft Tales and Trails and Tales. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, though, we've got the pre-release for 119.4 as well. Um, obviously, the the main thing here is potion colors, uh, as far as Java players are concerned, um, and yeah, a couple of updates to to pottery shards. But I think it's really cool that King B Dogs highlighted the fact that yes, potion colors changing is not the the fix that works for everybody, right? It's it's not going to be something that's going to resolve this problem and we're never looking at it again it's much more about what the art team is available to do and 
the amount of iteration that that's going to have to go through so they make sure they're not just like copying all of the potion sprites from terraria for example and like there are tons of them in terraria so you end up with a team that is already working really hard on finalizing all of the visuals for newer features like the amount of iterations they've gone through for some of the newer stuff and armor trims and the sniffer texture and all of that kind of stuff and presumably whatever they're working on behind the scenes next um and you're also putting extra demands on them because now that the ball is rolling on changes to potions and the potion enchantment glow going away and the colors being rebalanced then that feels like the last step in the chain of making potions viable uh for players being able to tell what they are at a glance. I agree. I, uh, you know, I, I came to King B dog's note later. I didn't catch it right away. And I was thinking about the changes after I saw some videos on them. I was just like, well, I mean, it's cool. It's fine. Some of them still look kind of similar, but not, not common potions. Like most of the things that you're going to use, uh, more frequently are very distinguishable mm -hmm. and uh when i read king b dog's notes i was like oh yeah no that's that makes total sense as a designer that's where my brain was anyway it was like these are good but they're, it could be better um and then of course you mentioned like the shape like the idea of like a iconography is the better way to go and i i i think that that's great that you know they are able to note that there's a need for this change use a minor update in 1.19.4 to implement a temporary fix if it's even if the temporary fix is around for a year at least they're doing something now mm -hmm. to help with it and and it's a fairly simple thing to change the colors you know you're not you're not re, you know reinventing the wheel um and then they can take a longer you know look at huh well now that we've removed the enchantment glint and we've got this armor trim in the game uh you know we should really look at you know changing potions and wait a minute, once we could dive into this, like there's some changes that could be made here, but all of a sudden they end up with like, we don't have time to do this right now. Mm -hmm. Like we have to focus on something, something else. And I like the idea of new arts and sprites for the potions. I'm crossing my fingers. Now this is pure speculation that we maybe even get models that could be placed in the world. You know, things in like flower pots are okay, but they're singular in terms of they sit right in the middle of the block. I would love it if potions worked like candles, maybe not yeah. four, but, but certainly like three, you know, so if you had some red potions and some green potions and some blue potions, and you wanted to fill like an apothecary build or just like, or even like a mini game, whatever it is that you wanted to do to be able to plunk them down. Now, I don't think you'd be able to mix them up in terms of the colors in the same block, but, uh, with some clever, you know, arrangements, you could really make it look like a nice little busy build. And if they all have different models, you know, in terms of shape and color, it could be very interesting. It could be a great way to decorate builds. It again takes that potion that only has one function, which is you brew it, you drink it, you get a power, and it turns it into that and a decoration tool for for people to to use in, in Minecraft. Uh, I I think that kind of stuff is is got a lot of potential, and it would be cool if they go down that route. But I can see that being something that they would want to test. They would want to put it in snapshots and get player feedback if they go down that road. Then, then that would take a bit of time, I think, to sort it out, to make sure the mechanics work and make sure it all works. But that would be a great way to take a very old piece of Minecraft and modernize it, considering we have candles and sea pickles and now the um, petal carpets, what are they called? Pink petals? Yeah. Um, and the way that they function, it's taking that new mechanic and applying it to uh, an existing item in the game. And by doing it, it doesn't upset the balance. Like you're not changing 
how potions work affecting PvP or PvE or anything like that. It's just a visual and, um, I guess, interactive change that then opens up all kinds of creativity from players, which I think is one of the best ways to revamp old stuff is just open up the creativity doors a bit more. Yeah. Th thinking about it, I think one of the reasons they might not have made potions a placeable item is because the amount of times you're looking at a block when you try and drink one. Can you imagine being in a cave and like wanting oh, to drink a night yeah. vision potion, but instead of drinking it, you place it on the ground? And if, the, if it's a tight cave and then you, you can't not be looking at a block while you're drinking it, then I feel like that yeah. creates problems that are a little difficult to solve from a user experience perspective. Uh, yeah, so, that's yeah. true. I, uh, I I do I do think there might be a solution to that, even if it's just like having them be three D. If you place them in an item frame, like I, or having something like an item frame that allows you to place a model instead of placing an item sprite, then there's there's potential there. But still, like that's that's a kind of pie in the sky idea for the future. I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. I could see that. Maybe holding shift. But then I guess if you're trying to sneak around and drink a potion, yeah, you're, the you're deep crouching. Dark, that's also like a problem. There's, yeah, there's 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 so many different like use cases for stuff like that. So there's 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 issues with it. But yeah, would love to see it. It'd certainly make uh, for a really cool decoration. Um, speaking of decorations, uh, Bedrock Edition now has access to archaeology, so you can play with those decorated pots. Uh, and the sniffers arrived on Bedrock as well. I would love to hear once again uh, a call out to anybody who wants to email into the show. If you're somebody who plays both Bedrock and Java, if you've had the time, or you play with kids uh, on Bedrock and play a solo world on Java or anything like that, if you've noticed any parity differences between the two, does the archaeology experience feel different on Bedrock? Is it more or less lining up with the Java experience? Be really great to uh, hear from you because. Uh, I don't have all of the preview stuff set up for Bedrock on uh, my machine right now, so while I could dive in and, and check it out for myself, I think it'd be really great to get some experience from somebody who plays Bedrock on a more regular basis. It's been a while since I've looked at this, but one of the notes you mentioned in the newsread was that ghasts in Bedrock now have, uh, their scream is, is less audible the farther they are from the player. Yeah. Is that a thing in Java now? No. I, I feel like it is, but it's Too less loud. noticeable. Like I, I, f <laughs> I feel like yeah, ghasts in general make such a kind of piercing noise a lot of the time that it's often difficult to tell which direction it's coming from. It is directional, and I think it does fade, but you just kind of think, oh, there's a ghast somewhere here, and you you're more concerned with is it going to come and fireball me than how far away can I tell it is based on the noise, right? Like, I I, I, I think you hear distant ghast whisper, uh, whimpers, but you still think, well, that thing's floating. It's still going to float in my direction eventually. Has it always been the case? Or was there a time when you went to the nether and the design of the ghast scream was meant to be, you can hear it everywhere. It's meant for yeah. you to not know which way it's coming from. Like, is that how it was originally made? I mean, maybe. <laughs> I'm not certain. Um, I, it, I... It's... It seems like a disorienting property that the ghast would benefit from in a sense. But I think as yeah. far as like, yeah, for, for accessibility purposes, I suppose, but yeah. also just like in terms of wanting the player to feel more aware of their surroundings because that feels better from a gameplay perspective, I can see them making that change. There's so many things in Minecraft that I have turned down to like 20% because otherwise <laughs> they're just too loud, like yeah, just too, yeah. too loud. The ghast, I mean, I think I've got my hostile mobs down around 30% just so I can make sure I can still hear creeper footsteps when they're coming up to me, but that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Moving on into chunk mail, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. There's also a form on our website. So if you just want to go to 
spawn chunks uh thespawnchunks.com there's a form under the contact page as well but uh spawnchunkmail at gmail.com is a great way to send it first email comes in from takander 26 suspicious sand a peaceful solution hi pix and joel i have loved your discussion about the different ways to play minecraft and the new additions to the game on episode 233 you both commented on how odd some of the drops from suspicious sand were to you finding gunpowder, TNT, and other things that seem to be linked to the Desert Temple loot table. What if the loot table for Suspicious Sand included items for peaceful players that could be used to quote-unquote win the game or were otherwise unable to access, like blaze rods, slime, and other mob drops? Except rotten flesh. No one needs that. Along with other treasures and items like the diamonds and gold. This would require Suspicious Sand to be a bit more available than just one room in the Desert Temple and Desert Wells, but I think it could be a fun way to help peaceful players have access to things they otherwise can't get without changing game difficulty. What are your thoughts? Tikander26 dried up in the desert, searching for all of the Suspicious Sand. <laughs> all the Suspicious Sand, all five blocks of it that we can find currently. Um, it's just a, a, a playful jab. Um yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely in favor of throwing peaceful players a bone, or in this case, a blaze rod. Um, but I, 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 I trip up on this concept for one main reason, and it's because I don't see Mojang adding anything which could allow survival players to bypass going to the Nether. And like, I, I, I want to say. I think people have a misconception occasionally about how difficulty works in Minecraft. Difficulty is a dynamic thing that you can change while you're in the world. So if you're in a, a hard difficulty world and you hit the difficulty button once, on single player at least, uh, it switches to peaceful and if you accept the changes, all of the mobs go away. So I, I feel like people often think that the world is going to be fixed or like the results of what you find in the world are going to be based on the difficulty you're playing it at the time but all of the loot and stuff is going to be seed based so it's not like you could guarantee that only peaceful players would find just the blaze rods in suspicious sand they would be there for all players so if you're playing on other difficulties you could effectively find enough suspicious sand and find enough blaze rods that way that you could avoid going to the nether entirely it might not be any faster <laughs> it might probably be a slower experience depending on how big of a desert biome you find and how many desert temples there are but i think allowing players to bypass the step of going to the nether in order to reach the end of the game doesn't feel like something from a progression standpoint that they're interested in adding it feels too much like a a skip in the progression to me so the technical hurdles aside i like the concept of the idea you know yeah. like if you were a peaceful player and correct me if i'm wrong but this could probably be done with a data pack right like if you were committing to a peaceful playthrough and you grabbed a data pack that changed the loot tables of suspicious sand to include things like slime and blaze rods then that could potentially help you um i i feel like that could be a great way to go i mean i i guess if it does something like that to the survival game if you decide to switch from peaceful to a regular mode afterwards then i mean just don't look for suspicious sand anymore i i don't know there's a couple ways you could probably just kind of self-regulate the game for that kind of reason or remove the data pack if that's the case um but I, I like the idea of using tools like this to try and get drops to players in peaceful mode that they wouldn't otherwise have um i don't know that suspicious sand would then have to be more available i have not played peaceful mode but i don't think that you need tons and tons and tons of blaze rods 
or, you know, you'd need enough to get you some potions and enough to get to the end, but I don't think you'd need an endless supply. Um, and I think that the difference between some of the things that we're getting in the loot table now and the new things are that um, pottery shards are not consumable. Um, unlike armor trim templates, they they don't disappear. When you break the pot, you just get them all back. And I think that, you know, the difference here would be blaze rods and some of these slime, I mean, some, I guess, slime blocks, depending on what you use them for, they're consumable. Um, but that kind of thing would not be the best experience. Like, I don't want to go look for um, blocks that once I pick them up, I no longer get the block that I can do anything with. I only have the the item and the item is then used for fuel or something traveling long distances and rooting through suspicious sand for something that ends up disappearing later on, not really appealing to me peaceful or otherwise. And so I kind of wonder whether the loot table for suspicious sand benefits more from having things like pottery shards, sniffer eggs. While yes, sniffer eggs do disappear. You end up with a sniffer. And if you have a couple of sniffers, then you can make more. So like they're not um, a finite resource. Once you get two, you're kind of good. Um, so I, I think that, for me, the benefit of of suspicious sand would be to have the non-consumable items. Um, I still think it's funny that, you know, things like redstone or gunpowder are in there. That seems like a strange thing. Uh, it doesn't seem at all worth the trouble um, compared to the pottery shards and, and the, um, the sniffer eggs. But um, I, yeah, I, I, I think there's room for that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, I guess if you want to be able to quote unquote beat the game and peaceful, then I just, you know, find a data pack that gives you a game mode, much like bingo, you know, or skyblock. Like they all have different modes. Skyblock has all kinds of, of imaginative ways to help the player progress. And I think that there could be a peaceful data pack that would come up with a cool way to do that. Yeah. I mean, you had zombies dropping gravel and husks dropping sand in, in skyblock. Like there's all kinds of yeah, modifications exactly. loot tables out there. Um, I think the other major issue with stuff like suspicious sand dropping slime or blaze rods and it's that they're not renewable and I feel like the likelihood of finding enough to be usable is fairly slim if you got it mixed in with all of that other loot and I think while blaze powder yeah like you were saying you you need it to get get one end portal open and you're probably fine you might want to open up a couple more if you want the flexibility of having different stronghold locations but then you're not going to do too much potion brewing meanwhile slime i think is the the, the other one uh, like slime is definitely at its most helpful in larger quantities uh when you're looking at slime block contraptions if you want to have some you know, moving bits and pieces you want to make a tunnel bore so that you can go looking for stuff and take advantage of the fact that you don't get mob spawns uh then you'll need a fair amount of slime for tnt duplication and moving the contraption and everything so there's yeah there's a fair amount there that i don't know if this is the right solution for but i do like the idea of any mechanic that gets added to the game being considered as a solution for peaceful players to get stuff that they can't get through normal gameplay uh, so good thinking, uh, Tikanda. I like I like where your head's at. Let's move on to our second email, though, and this is the one that we're going to spin out into the main discussion topic. This comes from Rebel JC with the subject of incentivizing exploration. Hey, Pix and Joel, I wanted to reach out about your recent podcast, episode two thirty three, Smells Like Cherry Groves. I liked how you guys touched on the new horse breeding changes in 1.20 and how it could benefit explorers. This got me thinking about exploration in Minecraft and how it's not as popular as building or redstone projects. 
I think the reason for this is there isn't really a big incentive for exploring the far reaches of a Minecraft world. While builders can show off their impressive builds and redstoners can showcase their amazing machines, explorers don't really have much to show for their journeys in the world. Personally, I think it would be more exciting to explore if there were unique biomes, mobs, or treasure items that could only be found many thousands of blocks away from spawn. Bring back the Farlands, perhaps? What could Mojang add to the game that would make you personally excited for exploration? Rebel JC travelled all the way to the edge of the world, and it looked just like spawn. So I think Mojang is starting to touch on this with the new things that they're adding in uh, 1.20. Uh, Cherry Grove Biomes is a really good example in Trails and Tales. Uh, armor trim is another one that's kind of pushing players to here's a cool new thing we're not just going to give it to you like you're going you're going to have to roam around and and find it that said your spawn could end up being right next to a cherry grove but you know it's unlikely um and i think that that kind of stuff helps push players out to explore but what i like about it what i like about archaeology what i like about armor trim is that they don't send you in a straight line they don't say here is one thing that you have to travel thousands and thousands of blocks away to go get. Here is it's it's like here are several different directions that you get to choose which way you go in. Are you trying to find a jungle temple because you want that armor trim template? Like are are you looking for something else? Um, are you gunning for the end because you want to go and get that armor trim template? That kind of stuff I think is more interesting. And they're not saying here is the next exploration update with this one biome or these two biomes that we're adding that are really far away. And that kind of suggests that this is what you are going to want to do the next time you load up Minecraft, which is go find this thing. And I, and I think that what they want instead is as um, the tales part of trails and tales suggests is that um, they want you to, to create your own story, go in your direction. We don't want to tell you how to play Minecraft. If anything, they want players to tell them how they play Minecraft, right? Yeah, and I, yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I think that yeah, like a, a rare, unique biome would get me exploring more often, but I don't want it to be something super far away because like I, I need it to be worth it. You know, like I need it to be something that is going to be, uh, well, it's the surprise. It's the element of walking around a mountain in 118 and going, oh, there's a cherry grove right there that I couldn't see five minutes ago. Like that is fun. Uh, whereas knowing you have to bypass all of this stuff and not look at it because what you're looking for is 10,000 plus blocks away. I'm just using that as an example. Um, would not be fun. I don't want to fly in a direction for 10,000 blocks and not pay attention at all until I get someplace, right? Yeah, like I... I rub up against this idea because theoretically new updates, assuming there's something like a cherry grove, there's a new biome, there's new structures or loot or whatever, they always give you a reason to explore further and further out in your world because that's always going to generate outside of the areas that you currently inhabit. Um, obviously some people start a new world when there's a new update, like you might start a 1.20 world just so you can have the chance of spawning in a cherry grove. But I think the reality of the situation is that players with long-term worlds often don't want to go that far. Like you're saying, because it's far away, you might be disincentivized to go looking for it rather than the prospect of it showing up on your doorstep and getting to play with new stuff exciting you. And I think it's less about the 
encouragement of players who don't currently explore all that much to do it and more about how you can serve the explorer like mentality um without really feeling like it's a downside to players who don't want to go out and explore because they'd rather be staying in one place working on a large build project or digging for redstone so that they can mechanize stuff um i find that players trimming their worlds down making those features easier to find closer to home is going to be the majority of people's behavior so i think the purpose of this update is reminding players that the journey is your reward it's kind of encouraging you to find new ways to travel you know consider playing around with horses because they're going to get better considering you know documenting the journey as you go and then putting all of the chronicles of your written books that you've made along the way into the new chiseled bookshelves decorating your armor with the the armor trims as you find them along the way you come back with a story to tell that's trails and tales in a nutshell and there's a few examples of well-documented journeys which have become pretty famous within the minecraft community that i think the the most celebrated you look at kurt j max farlands or bust series in which he's walking to the farlands in beta 1.6 or 1.7 whichever version before the farlands got taken out you can't even sprint in this version of the game because the hunger mechanic isn't a thing yet so he's just walking seven or eight million blocks however the uh the however long the the distance is to the farlands he's still going 12 years later i don't think he does it nearly as frequently now but it's effectively like a podcast series and he streams it and he just walks a decent distance and he's got to the point now where all of the landscape around him is jittering because the game can't calculate the positions of stuff accurately and there's all these kind of float errors and stuff but um yeah he's probably the most famous example of you know an epic journey that's reached legendary status and and is worthy of celebration uh on a slightly smaller scale i hope you won't mind me saying this uh but boz from the 8-bit community a friend of mine who streams on twitch uh when 118 snapshots were coming out he did a series of streams where he hadn't seen any of the new terrain he'd seen maybe a couple of screenshots and announcement blogs and that kind of thing but he spent a bunch of streams traveling 1 million blocks eastward in 118 snapshots using all of the stuff that he could along the way you know ice boating along you know frozen rivers which are a lot larger so it was more possible to do that and he went to the end and got elytra when he was able to locate a stronghold but then he set his spawn where he was so then he could come back and continue the journey from there and he'd fly in a uh, flying a little bit but like the majority of it was done on foot and you know crossing oceans just so he could explore the new terrain and that really felt like an achievement, not because he reached a million blocks and not because of something he found at the end of the journey, but because of all of the stuff he saw along the way and the process of the journey he took to get there. So I think really it's about contextualizing stuff as seeing the journey itself as the reward and the fact that you've got out and explored a bunch of the Minecraft world around you without feeling like you were tied to one specific project you know it's like a camping trip it's like seeing the great outdoors but in the video game and i think that while i like the idea of like a new biome or a new structure i think that the way to deliver these kind of incentives to players is through the trickle down effect through potentially even minor updates as opposed to major updates like sure we're getting the introduction of archaeology and the introduction of armor trim in a major update, a named update. But 
we've seen the process now of these minor updates, putting in fixes and putting in small things and changes like removing the enchantment glint, you know, on, um, on potions and stuff. So like the, the mechanic is now in there to have things added and to maybe push the player farther. And I think that adding reasons to explore is good. I just don't think a finite distance from the player is is good uh i don't want to spawn necessarily next to you with the hardest to find you know armor trim template i would sort of feel like that was a little bit cheaty because then you wouldn't really have the adventure to tell anybody it was like how'd you mm -hmm. get that tell me how you got it oh i spawned next to it like well that yeah. was anticlimactic like who wants <laughs> yeah. that i don't want to walk for a hundred thousand blocks or a million blocks but i don't i also don't want to walk four you know um and, and i think that you know there are things that they could do um to cite the the birch forest art that people jumped on a long time ago a change to birch forests like that which wouldn't require a named update would perhaps incentivize players to go and try to find a birch forest to build in because that's what that, that's something cool and new and but those are going to occur in the same way that they always have just like not randomly but like forever however the algorithm decides to put them in the game and the world building like that's how that would happen so you just have to you know walk around until you find one and i i like that idea i like the the we're not giving you one big reason to go exploring for this one thing we're going to be adding these into you know smaller updates and, and things like that i i mean i would still like to see some new structures um potentially added to the game new biomes i and i i think that that's just a matter of you know, um, going right back to what King V Dogs was talking about, like what's the bandwidth, like what's the focus, what what is the plan, and what needs to be in the game versus what would be nice and what would just take forever, and does it really um, take advantage of the maximum effort from Mojang versus the um, maximum enjoyment for players? You know, so obviously they're going to focus on the one that gets both. Uh, while new biomes are cool, there's a lot of players that might not be interested in that particular biome. So trying to find that broader appeal, I'm sure is, you know, higher on, on their list. I think too, that, um, when you get into things like structures or, or biomes, like the, to appeal to, to everyone, uh, you really want that to be something that once you've found one, you want to be able to kind of take advantage of those resources and, and bring them home in the same way that you can get saplings from the different trees. And if you don't want to go back to the jungle, every time you want more jungle wood, you can just grow your own. And I think that that's, you know, same with the new um, cherry grove, same thing. You get your saplings, you come back and you no longer have to find more cherry groves in order to get more cherry trees. And I think that if they can start to do that with the new mechanics, like in archeology, span like right now you can't you kind of have to go for more shards and more suspicious sand in order to get more pottery um stuff and, and decorated pots um but on the flip you can get the sniffer egg and then once you found two you can start to breed your own sniffers and i feel like the balance there is yes there has to be some exploration to achieve these things and you get that um that prize that that part of your story to say yeah i have a sniffer which means i took the time to find a desert find a desert temple and and do some archaeology um but if you're no longer interested in doing that as some players may not be once you get a couple of sniffers you can then do your own sniffer breeding at home and you no longer have to go 
out in the same way that they made clay pots uh, or not clay pots, um, uh, decorated pots buildable with clay bricks. They just don't have any decorations on them. So if you really only want the pot to sprinkle around, you don't have to go if you don't want to. And I like that choice. And I think the idea coming in from Rebel JC is by putting something very specific, very far away, it removes that choice, right? Like if yeah. you want something from there, you have to go get there. Whereas I think the player choice is, is a more viable way. Yeah, the, the Farlands suggestion is potentially the one that I think has the most potential in that the terrain getting more and more extreme the further out you went seems like an interesting change. Like, it seems like a change that could be made subtly, and for players who don't necessarily want that kind of extreme of terrain, they're not missing out on too much, but imagining the world almost as though it's a phenomenally wide crater... And so it's always going to be taller at the edges than it is in the middle. Like, stuff like that maybe makes sense. But there will always be anomalies because of the way terrain generation works right now. You have biomes that to us would have seemed amplified back in the day, uh, but are just part of like that old shattered savannah type of generation that still occurs in, in newer landscapes. And you're going to find a mountain that's, you know, reaching 256 blocks tall, and that's not world limit anymore, but that's as tall as terrain goes generally. And so there isn't really much else to be done the further out you go because it's all fairly close to the center. Um, I think part of the difficulty here, the difficulty with comparing exploration to building and redstone, is the idea of working towards an objective with a certainty that it can be achieved. <laughs> like, for example... When was the last time you went looking for a woodland mansion? Have you ever done that? Have you have you ever bothered with woodland mansions? Once. Just yeah. the once. And I don't remember the reason. I don't know. I think Matcast wanted to go raid one for, for some... There was something we wanted from it. What's the reason to go? Is it... I is mean, it, Totems of Undying were before raids. Um, I think Alays, that's what it was. I guess now, like, if you don't find those so villager outposts. It was, it was pre-Alay. It was, it was, I think, for the Totem of Undying stuff. I think that's what it was. Because it was yeah. before raids. It was, like, that was that's way back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It was very early on in, in the server. 113 um, kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, because that's one of the primary examples of something that typically does generate a few thousand blocks out from your world center. I think it's actually more common for them to appear on bedrock and other versions but um in java you typically don't find them too close to spawn or you didn't um again 118 generation may have changed that depending on dark oak forest uh generation but i find that that's one of those things where the reason those explorer maps exist that you buy from cartographers is because naturally finding a woodland mansion just by exploring is one of those things that barely ever happens and right. if you're adding something like that, like a biome or a structure that only generates 10,000 blocks from world spawn, you are vastly expanding the area in which the player needs to find it. So like a circle with a radius of 10,000 blocks, uh, if you use that formula for calculating the circumference of a circle, it's like 2 pi r, uh, you have 60,000 blocks of circumference in a, a circle with a radius of 10,000 blocks. And that's a lot of travel just looking for one biome. And we've already heard from a couple of people in our live show chat that, like, as somebody who plays very casually, you're only playing, like, a couple of hours a week, maybe. Having to travel 10,000 blocks for anything is a lot. That's more than you really want to commit because that's 
your entire Minecraft playing time for that week more or less used up in one way journey and then you have to spend next week coming back with whatever it is you've got and then realize that you can never go there again if you want to if you don't want to spend that time so yeah I, I i really appreciate the sentiment of this email i think the idea of incentivizing exploration is something that the team is constantly looking for because they're looking for things that appeal to all different types of play styles and you know a new redstone component might have the technical community in a spin but explorers aren't really going to get a whole lot from that so i think it's it's really about finding the balance and i think new biomes and new structures or changes to structures are the right thing to keep people interested especially people with more permanent worlds and and wanting to explore further than they ever have before but there reaches a point at which it becomes prohibitive to travel that distance and you've really got to consider how much of the community it's going to impact to install something new that you know 0.01% of players is ever going to go out and find they aren't my thing but i wonder if advancements and achievements could be a way to help incentivize players to do more more traveling and I, we don't do much with them because they get reset sometimes on the citadel whenever we update minecraft so i don't put in the grind to get the achievements because they end up if they go away i'd be mad um, but I, I could see something where you don't get any new blocks, like you don't get any new real gameplay mechanics. But if, if you are someone that wants to kind of like stick their chest out and say like, I did this and I traveled all this way and I explored all this, you know, terrain, having something in the achievement, you know, uh, hunt could be kind of cool. Maybe if it, if it tied into some sort of armor trim where you don't get a new one, but maybe like you get, you know, um, uh, uh, like a, not, I, I guess a t-shirt <laughs> i know it doesn't exist i know it, it doesn't exist but like the classic tourist thing like i have the t-shirt from the place you yeah, know like I, the i love new york t-shirt i i explored all 53 biomes in minecraft and all i got was this advancement and a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, yeah adventuring time the advancement is a thing discover every overworld biome um right. i think i'm not sure if it's every but yeah it's only for overworld biomes yeah the um the nether has its own version of that which is just the five um but yeah like th th that's an incentive to go exploring and it's something that i typically get just going around a world looking for resources anyway right but there's certain biomes which are going to be off the beaten track you've got you know mushroom islands and you know all of the variations on birch and uh spruce forests and now you'll have cherry groves and all of the different mountain biomes to take into account there's there's a lot and so that's part of an incentive for exploration and I, I think that's existed in the game for a really long time i don't recall a time when finding all of the biomes in the world wasn't an achievement of some kind so there's there's plenty out there if you want to look for it much like the minecraft world in general and i think just the in the spirit of this update taking a different approach to like documenting the trip as you go would be a really interesting exercise for people who are more interested in the exploration side of things taking screenshots leaving yourself notes and you know planning it as though it's a trip and making sure you've taken all of the stuff that you need to take with you what you need to craft as you go and all that kind of stuff can be part of the journey as well i think that's where we're going to wrap up this episode though thank you so much for listening folks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com 
The music for the show is composed by me. And the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live in Discord when we record it, and you also get to participate in things like our monthly Minecraft audio hangouts and the quarterly hangouts when those pop up as well. We currently have 326 patrons, which is down eight from last week, usual Patreon first of the month reshuffling happening. Uh, special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you so much for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. A personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spunchunkmail at gmail.com. Thanks for those thoughtful emails today. Keep those coming. The RSS feed is linked at thespunchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where right now I'm focusing on Empire's SMP, but expect a few other things to pop up real soon. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and this week I'm actually going to be starting a series on Elden Ring, so if you're interested in seeing where some of the landscaping and inspiration for my current project on Empire's is coming from, myself and XP are going to be streaming... Uh, the co-op version of it. There's a co-op mod out there that exists for Elden Ring, uh, so we're going to be running that through from start to finish. Bear in mind, though, it is a more mature game, so expect a mature tag on the stream and 18-plus attendance. Aside from that, I'm, I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search, and I'm at Pixelris on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm up to online can be linked at joelduggan.com. That includes the Citadel Cafe, my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can also follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I've been streaming pretty much every day, Lego on Fridays and Minecraft the rest of the time while we try to push towards the finale uh, of Westill, trying to finish up this build. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but it's not about the destination.